Welcome back to another episode of Always Hope. I'm your host, Dr. Mario, and happy to have you with us today. In this podcast, I often talk about suffering in life and various ways to overcome it. That's because I believe that knowing how to deal with our suffering is the key to unlocking personal maturity and happiness. So, in today's show, I'm focusing the conversation squarely on understanding how to make suffering redemptive. Redemptive suffering is not an oxymoron, but an invitation by Christ to unite all aspects of our lives with His passion and resurrection. Joining me on the show is Dr. Don Eden Goldstein, author, public speaker, and assistant professor of dogmatic theology at Holy Apostles College and Seminary in Cromwell, Connecticut. She has written about healing and suffering in her popular books. In exploring the development of a theology of redemptive suffering was the focus of her doctoral dissertation. In this episode, we define the nature of redemptive suffering, the process of bringing our sufferings, both big and small, to Christ, the proper role of ascetical practices, the role of memory in the spiritual life, and concerns with prayer techniques that ignore natural methods of healing, specifically one technique that is commonly referred to as inner healing prayer. We speak at length about our concerns with these methods. This is another great show, but I'm not gonna lie, this episode is challenging because getting a proper and nuanced understanding of redemptive suffering is not easy. Yet, I know that it will help you to better understand how to bring your daily aches of life to prayer and incorporate them into your relationship with Jesus. Please share and subscribe to the Always Hope podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes that will teach you how living with hope will improve your life and relationships. Now, let's get into this interview with Dr. Don Eden. Don Eden, thank you so much for joining me on the Always So podcast. How are you doing today? Very well, Mario. Thank you. It's great. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I have to be honest. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, as a, yeah, as a counselor, uh, I'm one who who works with people that that are in suffering. Obviously, that's my job is to try to help people alleviate or make sense of of their suffering. And so being able to learn from you as a theologian who, who dedicated your doctoral research to this topic, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to learn from you um, about this. But then also just myself personally, as a, as a man who's a Catholic Christian, I love Jesus, um, but trying to, to grow in my own understanding of what it means to, to carry my cross. Um, so I think that the first question I want to ask you this morning is really, out of all the things that you could have picked for your doctoral studies, why did you pick this theme of redemptive suffering? That's a great question, Mario. Well, with a doctoral dissertation, you are supposed to pick a topic where there's room to do research that hasn't been done. And I found just after uh, years of writing popular uh, books and and speaking about suffering uh, that uh, there really wasn't something comprehensive on what the church teaches about the redemptive value of suffering. Um, there were either popular books that did not drink too deeply of the range of church teaching, um, or there were uh, academic works that um, also strangely um, ignored a, a large amount of teaching and didn't 
really try to find um, find teaching on that where there was. You know, uh, something that you discover when you start to do academic work is that um, a lot of people in the world of academia um, will say that someone didn't speak about such and such because they haven't found the word such and such in that person's works. And likewise, with suffering, um, it's often believed that the church didn't really speak about it until John Paul II's Salvifici Dolores. But if you're looking for it under different words, you you find it a very strong theology of suffering in Pius Twelfth in the Second Vatican Council. So that was the sort of thing that I was interested in in bringing out, not just John Paul's teaching, although that is central to my dissertation, but also that John Paul didn't you know come out of a vacuum. He's building upon a magisterial teaching that already exists. Uh, so in in general, then, what does it mean then to to call suffering redemptive? I mean, as you're looking at uh, these, your dissertation focuses on kind of four main sources, uh, if I understand it correctly, Pius, uh, the Twelfth, uh, uh, the Second Vatican Council, JP2, and Francis. And so just looking over the last, whatever, 75 years, 100 years of church teaching on this, like what what does the church say about being able to call suffering redemptive? Well, all redemption comes from Christ. So if suffering is redemptive, it has to uh, have something to do with Christ's own suffering. Now, uh, the the church teaches and has taught, uh, particularly since uh, St. Paul, Colossians 1.24, that, that our works and in a special way, our sufferings take on redemptive value when joined to Christ's sufferings. Uh, the great insight of the Second Vatican Council is that redemption is is uh, through not only Christ's passion, but actually through his paschal mystery, which includes his passion, death, and resurrection and ascension in, into heaven. And that's what John Paul II builds upon in Salvifici Dolores. He shows that if we unite our sufferings to uh, to those of Christ, then we are joined to Christ in his present risen state. Uh, so, so we are, um, in, in, a, in a mystical way, joined to the resurrection in our sufferings united with Christ, and that the power of the resurrection works uh, in us even when we are physically uh, dying. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a a very powerful insight. Francis uh, builds upon upon that uh, in a beautiful way. And and that's what I seek to bring out through my dissertation. As you said, right, there were all... Anything that we can call redemptive has to come through Christ, has to come through the Lord. Yes, and, that's right. And so that this isn't just about, I guess it's more than just finding meaning, which certainly we can, we can find meaning in all things, but that for these 
experiences, these crosses that we carry in our life, and even death itself, that if we bring the Lord into those experiences and we unite our suffering with the Paschal Mysteries of Jesus, that there's real grace uh, that is offered to us. Am, am I hearing you right? Yes, yes, absolutely. That's exactly what what I'm I'm saying. I was giving a talk at St. Thomas Aquinas College last year, and a student who was disturbed by what I was saying said, well, all right, then suppose I unite my sufferings to, to those of Christ. What do I get out of it? Um, and I, I answered her as best I could. But then afterwards, I was telling my former moral theology professor about that, uh, Father John Corbett, OP, who teaches at the Dominican House of Studies in Washington. And when I asked him what he would say to the college student who asks of uniting her sufferings to those of Jesus, what do I get out of it? He answered, the, he said, the answer is, you get out of it. You get out <laughs> of your suffering. <laughs> because you're no longer locked in your sufferings. You're united to Jesus, who who is experiencing now the joy that is beyond human suffering. It doesn't mean that you don't still um, suffer, but it means that the suffering takes on a new meaning because you're no longer locked in your own world. You're united to Christ. And that is exactly, in a nutshell, what John Paul teaches in Salvafici Dolores. Beautiful. So where is the balance then between like, I'm just supposed to embrace my pain, embrace my cross. I just have to carry it. Um, I think the a line that I, that I took out of your study here that I kind of like was, uh, are we just supposed to be passive to the evil in our life or just passive to the suffering and not do anything to kind of get ourselves out of the pain or work towards alleviation of that suffering? It, it, I guess just where, where's the balance? Because uh, it's like a, on one hand, sometimes we have a misunderstanding of the church's teaching related to the cross. And it's just like, well, just suck it up carry your cross, you know, life's hard. That's all it is. And sometimes you, you kind of get that camp. I don't know, maybe that's misunderstanding, but you kind of hear that. But then on the other hand, you know, we live in a, in a very technical, you know, advanced age with, with medicine. And it's like, Hey, like you don't need to suffer at all. Like you could just put on your iPhone and, and, and that'll take away the pain or you can, you know, medicine's going to solve everything. Technology is going to solve every pain. And so suffering has no meaning, has no value in an efficient age. And it just seems like, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm speaking in extremes here, but it just seems like these two kind of camps are kind of out there. And so what is really like the Catholic way of being able to balance both of those, um, those, those kind of thoughts and ideologies? Well, as you say, Mario, the Catholic way is certainly not either of the extremes. It's neither the extreme of, of stoicism, um, nor, uh, nor the, the the other um, extreme, so it has to it it has to really be um, a realistic acknowledgement of suffering, along with an allowance for grace, but also of the of the the right that the human person has to um to choose to to what extent one um 
wishes to to receive you know the grace of suffering at this time um in my dissertation i talk about this uh, particularly from the perspective of john paul ii and this is you know another case where salvafici dolores is very help is very helpful uh the church recognizes that suffering qua suffering in itself it's an, it's an evil um it's something that christians should work to to relieve in every uh, legitimate way. But there is always in, in the life of the human person unavoidable suffering. And so that's something that we, we need a theology in order to understand how it, how it can be redemptive. And more than that, there is suffering that we can choose to take on for others. Sometimes this is something that's simply um, obvious, like you know, the suffering of of a, a mother or a, or, a, or a father, you know, for for the for the for the child, um, and you know, it can mean also you know, other kinds of sufferings that we take on in order to to literally um, serve others. But uh, there can also be times in our in our lives where we might have some comfort, but we consciously choose to forego comfort because we would like to win grace for another person. So there are Catholics who, you know, in a prudent way, and I would say this is best done under the advice of a spiritual director, they might forego taking pain relievers because it, the pain gives them an opportunity to suffer. Um, I'm not one of those Catholics, by the way. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I'm not either. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm not that, old enough. I'm getting, I'm getting there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think something like that should only be done with the spiritual director. It's of certainly course. not a requirement in any means for the spiritual life. And the idea that the spiritual life does require it is not true. Uh, for me, you know, I, I think of that in terms of um, not being afraid of getting um, getting needles in the course of medicine. Um, I think, you know, before I was Catholic, it was much more difficult to have to get a blood test or a vaccine. Um, as we speak, I'm preparing to do a teaching mission trip in India that, that will, you know, require me to get needles stuck about, you know, a total of eight or 10 times because of all the vaccines that I need to get prior to going to India. So yesterday I got stuck twice. Um, oh my gosh, you know, God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. And look, I'm not going to tell you it didn't, it didn't hurt. I mean, it hurt so much that I went like, wow, I got like an yeah. adrenaline burst because of the, the pain. Um, but but let, me, let me bring this back here. So, cause I think what, it, what you're saying is with regards to suffering then in the spiritual life, the, the the ascetical dimension of of prayer, the ascetical dimension of life, where we can be both passive in that God then brings the like you said the everyday sufferings that come into our life, and we have the opportunity to embrace those, um, while it can also be active in that we have ways of being able to offer fasts or or foregoing some comfort or being willing to, you know, say, I'm going to, I'm going to love my child and the suffering that I experience is, you know, I'm offering it for that, or even 
getting the vaccinations as you're talking about right now and being able to say, okay, I'm going to offer this specifically for whatever your intentions are in that, that there's an invitation by God's grace to, to help us to, to grow in that. Well, well, that's, well, that's right. And, you know, for me, you know, even on a practical level, and this is the, the point that I was, uh, that I was trying to make with respect to the vaccinations that, um, I can, um, receive the vaccinations joyfully, not, you know, joyful because like, oh, I enjoy pain. I don't, but I can receive them now just thinking, thinking, you know, this is good because, because I, um, I need something to offer for certain people and I'm going to make this my offering. Now notice that I, that it's in the course of everyday life. I don't go around walking on walking on nails and saying this is for so and so you know that would be that would be ri- ridiculous and i know we do read some stories in the lives of the saints of um saints doing certain things but we also read in the lives of the saints of saints being chewed out by their spiritual directors because they did too much mm-hmm. um one of my favorite stories about saint francis of assisi which is a true story is is that whereas he used to call his his body brother ass because it was a drag on him and it was uncooperative when he was on his deathbed francis apologized to brother ass for the ways that he had mistreated it and you know i think that's a great insight from the lives of the saints that even though there were times when when francis um did you know go on fasts and do other with endure other hardships uh, as as an offering uh, there were also times when he simply overdid it and the catholic church does not want us to overdo it to the to the extent of actually causing real uh, harm to ourselves um so 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 for so for me um there is something you know special even on a practical level of offering up suffering you know not to say like wow hey how strong i am but rather just just to just to say this used to be meaningless and now it's and now it's meaningful now i can see it as god actually giving me an opportunity to win grace for someone in in a way that i wouldn't have had this opportunity earlier yeah see my problem is that like when i offer a fast and then it gets to like 12 o'clock and then my head hurts i'm like I, I like forgot that I was offering a fast <laughs> and then I just start complaining internally. I'm like, Oh wait, this is, this is what I'm offering. I'm, I'm, I'm offering yes. the headache. This is a, this is precisely the thing that I, that I am trying to embrace uh, to offer up for whatever the particular intention is. This is Dr. Mario. I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Dr. Don Eden Goldstein to invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. Through my posts, I share ways of finding authentic Christian hope in the daily events of life. And I look forward to dialoguing with you on these platforms. Well, so let me ask and bring this back to kind of my role as a counselor, I often work with people who struggle with depression or anxiety and are really unable to, to kind of get out from, get out from it. Um, and, and sometimes depression particularly is it's, it's from my perspective, one of the hardest things to work with because just the lethargy, the, the low energy and, and it's there waiting for you as soon as you wake up. 
um, in many cases. And so just, I guess, with what you've read and, and your studies and even before with some of the, the popular books, like what, what advice, what counsel, what encouragement could you offer to somebody who, who does carry some of these deeper psychological kind of troubles? Um, well, now you're getting into an area that I talk about in my books on healing from trauma. My piece I give you, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints, and remembering God's mercy. If I understand you correctly, you're talking about for someone who carries around unwanted psychological suffering, such as memories of trauma, things that are not going away anytime soon. Is that right? Yes. So we can talk about trauma specifically, I mean, a whole host of them, sometimes even just crippling anxiety uh, that they've carried since they were a child or, or or even depression. Or perhaps someone who's in a home situation that they can't, Mm -hmm. that they can't, you know, simply rectify. That's correct. Yeah. Some broken family circumstance that they can't just get up and leave because, you know, the realities are, are, are such that it's difficult. Well, this is for me where Pope Francis's teaching on suffering comes in. And Francis in this respect is, is very close to Benedict, although Benedict has spoken more about this topic in his uh, writings as as a as a theologian prior to the papacy than he did as as, as pope. Um, what Francis and Ratzinger talk about is the role of memory in the spiritual life. For Pope Francis, as well as Ratzinger, we can begin to unite our will to God's will, in part by seeking to unite our memory to God's memory. So if I've had trauma in my past, I can, I can um, ask God to share in his memory of my past so that I might share in the joy that God feels when he sees where I end up after this trauma. God sees the whole picture and I and I don't, and I can actually, and this is something I'm pretty um, that I press fairly hard in my piece. I give you, I can actually begin to participate right now in the divine joy by seeing that no matter how evil the things that were done to me, the fact that I need God right now and I recognize my need for God is a sign that God's will is being fulfilled in me. Um, I have a point of comparison here because uh, I'm a convert from Judaism, um, actually from Judaism via agnosticism and evangelicalism, and then finally uh, coming to Catholicism. And I have cousins who are about my age who, um, who, as far as I know, did not suffer Uh, trauma in childhood. And when I see these cousins at family gatherings, I see that they're reasonably happy. Um, So, you know, it's not as if like, as if like, you know, oh, you know, I found, you know, Christian joy, and I would never have been able to have any happiness in life, if it weren't for my relationship with God. Strictly speaking, that's not, that's not true. But what I do see when I see my cousins is that 
beyond this kind of natural happiness that people can have, God gave me a kind of joy that can, by God's grace, withstand suffering. So I can say now that that even on my worst day as a Catholic, even when I'm racked by flashbacks and anxiety and depression and you name it, I have something in my heart that I did not have, some, some you know, speck of joy that I did not have in my best days before I was Catholic. And that speck of joy is the recognition that I desperately need God, and it's the desire to, to go to Mass and to receive the Eucharist. It's the desire to have someone speak to me of, of God. It's the desire to feel God's, God's mercy and his tenderness in my heart. And, and that um, desire is something you know, that, um, that no kind of suffering can, can, uh, can take away. And in a mysterious way, you know, there are times when that desire, you know, grows more through suffering, you know, than it would have during times of, of satisfaction. In fact, it typically grows more through suffering. And this is a fascinating teaching of our church that, um, you know, it's certainly in Augustine and it's it's brought out very deeply in the writings of, of St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, other uh, Carmelite mystics, also... Um, Saint Teresa Benedicta, Edith Stein, and and uh, Mother Teresa, it, it, what they have is this teaching that the the times of the absence of sensible pleasures are the times when um, when God is creating in us a um, kind of vacuum that He intends to 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 fill. So these times of of suffering are actually, you know, in some way a necessity for, for growth in the spiritual life. Now, we can say, you know, enough. Um, there's a great story from Mother Teresa, which I think she told because it really reflected her own spiritual life, that uh, she was ministering to a, a person who was in great suffering. And she said to this person, well, you know, your suffering is just the kiss of Jesus. You know, think of it as the kiss of Jesus. And the person responded, well, tell him to stop kissing me. <laughs> and, and that, too, is a legitimate thing to say. But the important thing, and this is something that John Paul touches on um, explicitly in Salvafici Dolores, is that when we, is that when we, ask why suffering, we're asking it to a man whom we see as we're asking it of him, we're asking it of him while he is on the cross. So, you know, even if we are asking God to stop our suffering, we are asking him in a way that brings us into dialogue with him. So right um, there then is, is, is detention, right? And, yes. and you said so much, so many beautiful things, Don, which is, like, so if somebody is struggling with, with trauma or anxiety or depression or some, some suffering that is beyond their kind of ability just to, to overcome one, if I'm hearing you right, is, is, is recognizing that where we are in life right now is just a moment. 
Yes. And the story is not done yet. And that God is not that he, not that he wills it positively, not that he desires it, but that in honoring human freedom and honoring and honoring human free will, we live in a world where sin happens and that the great mystery of God isn't, isn't that he could have stayed, you know, Eve's hand or, or prevent it, but rather that he can make good out of anything. Right. So, Oh, happy fault. Right. This is the, the great prayer of the church, you know, the Easter vigil that one for us, so great a savior that even in the midst of how I'm living my life right now, even in the midst of the struggles that I'm going through right now, that the story is not over and that God in his, in his permissive will and in providence is allowing whatever circumstances to unfold as hard as that is, for a greater good to occur. And even if, even if it's just in the midst of the suffering that it allows me, as you said so beautifully, to, to tap into my desire, to tap into my longing for God and allows that longing to then be actualized or vocalized in a prayer and in, in, in asking God to alleviate my suffering. That's right. That even in that sometimes is God. I mean, this is the mystery of providence, right? This is the mystery of, of saying, we just don't know kind of what, what God is, what God is always up to. Um, I, I work with, uh, with a lot of men who, who do struggle with uh, the sin of habitual um, masturbation and, and, and looking at pornography. And, and I have been, you know, just, I don't know what the right word here is. The dumbfounded is what comes to my mind, but I don't know if that's the right word. But, but sometimes like you just don't know that like, like the very act of these guys overcoming um, this habitual sin sometimes it's, it's the very means upon which that they are growing in virtue, right? And so, so being able to overcome this sin becomes the way that they're able to grow in temperance, to grow in prudence, to grow in an unawareness of their own heart. And that through the, the struggle of overcoming this habitual sin, um, they, are, they are able to, to, uh, to, to grow in holiness. And that, that as a counselor, is, it's, it's always mind-boggling when I see that, but, but really a gift too. Um, and so I, I guess I want, I want to shift gears here for, for, for a few minutes, if I may, because it seems that in this misunderstanding in our church uh, today about what suffering is and what the role is or isn't, um, there seems to be in, uh, kind of some growing movements within the church um, that, that try to offer up, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, kind of a quick fix mentality. Okay. What was that? A band-aid. A Band-Aid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In, in, in saying that if you only focus on, you know, if you can just find the, 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 the wound, for example, is one of the narratives that's out there. Um, right, if you can right. just find that one core wound and do this prayer and rip it out, um, then, you know, all the suffering is going to be alleviated. Now, you know, with compassion and understanding, I, I understand both why Practitioners would want to operate out of that place. I mean, who wouldn't want to have a quick fix to be able to offer people? Okay, so that's one. I understand why people are drawn to that type of you know program or 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 retreat or whatever it is, uh, because again, as one who's suffering, who wouldn't want the quick fix? But what do you see as 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 a potential is good for this? But but even just dangers uh, uh, in in some of these movements. Well. This is a topic where, you know, if you get me started, I can talk for about 10 minutes about about this. And I, I'd be happy to because I am very concerned about inner healing and what used to be called theophostic prayer uh, and what, what you describe as, I guess, a kind of 
I'm not even sure what to call it, like a kind of Jungian or rather Joseph Campbell type of approach to the core wound. I haven't studied psychology enough to to know, you know, what that would be called in a, in a psychological, um, you know, scientific uh, sense. But before I begin talking about that, there's something I want to point up just in what you've been describing. And I'd be interested in your thoughts on this as a psychologist. Sure. So... And I'm a counselor, just, just to say, there's a distinction. Just want to say this on air. There's a distinction between psychologist and counselor, but just, just for the sake of putting that out there, you know, with my licenses, I don't want to get sued. No, no, I appreciate that (laughs) as a counselor. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, So my understanding is that the psychological approach that you've described is an approach that has long been discredited in the psychological field. Is that right? You are correct. I mean, has it been discredited for about what, 30, 40, 50 years? Easily. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, this is, this was stuff that was in vogue back in the sixties and seventies, you know, when all these various theories were coming out and, and again, I get it that, and even maybe way back, I mean, we're talking about childhood trauma, certainly, certainly, certainly affect us as adults without a doubt. Um, But this notion that there's one singular event um, I just find it as a myopic view of healing. Well, well, uh, it certainly is. And I want to talk more about that, but you know, there's, there's a point that I want to, go ahead. to make, and I just want to, to, you know, press you, you know, slightly further on, on this, or, or maybe not press you, but just to, to say that, um, that this approach, even though some, some people claim that um, that this approach has, you know, some kind of root in the church fathers or doctors. In my research, I found that that's not the case, though, and that this approach is not distinctively Catholic. There's not something about this inner healing type approach that can um, really uh, fit in with a holistic, holistic meaning the whole uh, vision of of Catholicism. So, you know, that's an important thing to note because just because a Catholic therapist uses a technique does not mean that that technique is necessarily Catholic, that it's necessarily uh, part of our faith. These techniques um, are, are, are psychological techniques are simply um, tools in the toolbox of medicine. Now, granted, there are some tools um, such as, you know, certain kinds of Freudian, Freudian, Freudian um, you know, therapy that, you know, focus um, too heavily on the uh, sex drive. There are certain psychological uh, tools that are um, definitely not Catholic, um, you know, in their nature. Um, there are other tools such as the core wound thing where I wouldn't say that it's necessarily anti-Catholic, I would say that's more of a neutral tool. Um, But even if it's a neutral tool, the question is then, well, has it been shown to, to, you know, scientifically to, to heal or harm? And if it's not being shown to really uh, heal, and if it's being shown, you know, on the balance to, to, uh, to, um, really have been surpassed by better tools, then we need to be using the better tools. My point, Mario, in a nutshell, 
is that, you know, yes, medieval theology is the best, but medieval science was not the best. And if I, I, I'm a thyroid cancer survivor, and, you know, if I needed to have thyroid surgery, do I want to go to the doctor whose medical training ends with Albert the Great, or do I want to go to the doctor who has the latest training? Well, obviously, I want to go to the doctor who has the most up-to-date training. And so likewise, as Catholics, you know, if Albert the Great lived today, although he certainly wouldn't approve of some of the things that modern science is being used for, he would be using the most modern scientific techniques uh, for good. Um, and so li likewise, you know, I think we have a duty, a responsibility as Catholics when, when um, using science, which includes psychotherapy, to use the latest science. So I think even on that, in that respect, beyond anything that I do intend to say about the problems with the so-called inner healing approach, I think that, you know, what I've just described alone is a reason for discarding that approach. One more break here. Just to let you know, I have bags and will travel. If you are looking for a dynamic speaker to talk about issues of hope, suffering, marriage, pornography, or relationships, I would be honored to speak at your parish, diocese, or whatever event you're putting on. To book me, please visit faithinmarriage.org backslash alwayshope, where you can also see a list of my upcoming speaking engagements. Now, back to the episode. My work as a, as a counselor, I've, I've supervised uh, counseling interns. Um, I, I adjunct classes for Divine Mercy University. And, and across the board, what I tell my students or my supervisees is, listen, you have to be both strong in the faith and strong in the science. That just because you're a good Catholic, which, you know, we hope that, that you are, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a good therapist either. Like you have to be able to be strong in both because there is an art and a science to, to the work here. Um, and to your point, I, I agree that this is why continue education is supposed to be part of the process, right? That we're supposed to as therapists, like I have to continue to stay abreast with the research. Um, and so that I'm not just caught in whatever modalities I learned when I got my graduate studies. So I'm not just still operating out of whatever it was that my, my professors taught me in graduate school that I have to stay current with what the new science is coming up with the new research is, is, is showing. Um, and so that I'm, so that I'm operating ethically in, in just as the best practice, uh, for, for the people that, that I'm entrusted to take care of. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. And I'm, I'm glad to hear, to hear you say that because that's been my feeling, but I, I wanted to hear about it from someone who has a, a, a training, uh, in, in counseling. Uh, so in answer to your question with respect to what I'll call the inner healing approach, the most charitable thing that I can say about it is that in um, a certain way, it corresponds to exposure therapy. There is an aspect of it that corresponds to exposure therapy. And exposure therapy is a recognized scientific way of helping people 
overcome trauma associated with a particular event. Now, there are many differences between exposure therapy and inner healing, the first being that exposure therapy is performed by rigorously trained professionals, not just people who read some books and went to some workshops. Um, and uh, also that exposure therapy is performed or enacted within an environment of trust that's one-on-one. -on -one. So it's not done with a group interacting with the patient and it's not done where the patient simply meets the therapist and they jump right into it. There's a level of trust that is built between the therapist and the patient. And then the, and then the exposure therapy with the reliving of the traumatic event begins. Uh, before I go on, can I ask you, have I given an accurate account of what exposure therapy is? Uh, yes. Yeah, certainly. Okay. Yeah. There's various modalities regarding to, to trauma work. But, uh, but I think right. you're doing a good job, at least kind of right. kind of condensing it. Yep, absolutely. Right. So in as much as it can help a person to relive a traumatic event in a one-on-one -on -one setting with a um, person whom they trust, who is kind and empathetic, in that sense, uh, the inner healing approach can be helpful. But even if you take the ideal circumstances where the inner healing is is performed one-on-one -on -one in an atmosphere of trust with uh, an inner healing practitioner who is relatively um, well-schooled in it, even then I would say if it's helpful, it can only really help the person who has just one or two traumatic events where their traumatic events have occurred kind of in a, in a vacuum that is in, in an otherwise uneventful, um, past. Um, but for myself now I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is brought about through being through having suffered a traumatic environment. So if I were to undergo inner healing, which involves, um, essentially, um, reliving a traumatic experience and inviting Jesus in. And I'll bring in the core wound thing that you mentioned also, because that, that's related. Um, but if I were to undergo that, I would be a mess because if I were to relive one traumatic event, I would find that it was entangled with other traumatic events. And so I'd be that, you know, rather pathetic, you know, person who keeps having to go back to the inner healing group week after week because they keep discovering something else that they have to, that they have to, you know, go through. So, you know, there must be a better way. So, so then how do we encounter Jesus in a way that um, impacts us in a deeper and more generally healing way than if we are just focusing on this one wound or this one memory. Uh, there are different ways to do this, but in my books, I propose that it has to be through, again, a holistic way, meaning looking at the whole. It has to be a way that incorporates um, primarily encounter with Jesus through the Eucharist, through uh, daily, daily Mass, also through uh, um, being... Uh, regular recipients of the sacrament of confession. Um, I personally recommend 
what St. Francis de Sales recommended, which is, which is every two, two weeks, you know, more often if we're, if we're, you know, falling into mortal sin. Um, but also, you know, encountering Jesus through sacred scripture, through spiritual reading. Uh, beyond that, I would say that if we understand our encounter with Jesus as being essentially mediated through the Eucharist, because even if we're not receiving the Eucharist at a given moment, we're told by the magisterium that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the spiritual life. Everything comes from the Eucharist and flows back to the Eucharist. Then if we're living Eucharistically, then we're uh, living in relation to Jesus as the real presence. So our uh, healing then comes through being present to Jesus, who is always Eucharistically present to, to, to us. And Jesus in the Eucharist comes to us in the manner in which he presently exists, which is that he comes to us as the risen Christ, uh, the divine mercy image of Jesus with the light streaming from his wounds is a beautiful example of this. So uh, I do think that, you know, what is true of the core wound is that we are wounded, even if we can't find a specific core wound, we are wounded through original sin. And the uh, sacrament of, of baptism, although healing us of sin itself, does not heal us of all the effects of sin. So we will, through life, have to struggle with concupiscence, and we'll also have to struggle with other things that were not part of God's original, you know, plan at the creation of man and, and woman. We can say that he foresaw it, um, but it was not something he positively uh, ordained, namely um, illness, you know, bodily weakness, um, death, the prospect of, of death. Um, these are the wounds that we bring, you know, spiritual and physical to our encounter with Christ. And so for me, the approach to healing is to is to concentrate on uniting my wounded self to Jesus' wounded and glorified self. I think if we focus too much on our wounds, and, you know, I think I've been guilty of this in some of the language that I've used, um, if, if we have a, too much of a wound-centric view of things, then we can obscure what's really happening. I, I, I might speak poetically of uniting my wounds to Christ's wounds, but the wounds are always the wounds of a person. Uh, and the object, and this I do say in my piece I give you, the object is to learn how to act not out of my wounds, but out of my wellness. And, that's, and with that, acting out of our wellness, that's the development of, of virtue. Um, we'll always have a, have a certain woundedness in this life, again, because of original sin. But the question is, is out of what are we acting? And if, if we seek to be united to Jesus and to receive the grace that comes from the risen Christ and flows to us through, through his wounds, then he will teach us how to act out of uh out of our wellness to act through the uh, action of the grace of the resurrection rather than through uh, our own uh, woundedness. Yeah. I, 
I, I think, I mean, mercy, there's so much to say here. The, the, the perspective you took with regards to uh, these inner healing movements and the caution for people who have significant trauma is, is right on, right? Just the sense that if, if you do have complex trauma in your life, you need professional help, right? Yes. You, you, need, you need to work with somebody who really knows what they're doing because as soon as you start opening up those can of worms, like our mind, we forget things for self-protective purposes. Exactly. And, and, and we bottle things up, not just because we're repressing, but sometimes because the mind is just trying to protect itself from the pain. And when you yes. go and start digging and r- opening up scabs uh, on wounds, then then you better know what you're doing, you know, as a practitioner. Um, and and I would say almost always that is an, a, a a quick fix that 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 is um, barring some miracle that certainly in God's providence He can He can ordain He can unfold, but but in the usual course of things. Like it's going to take time for one to be able to reconcile themselves to those significant traumas. Um, and so that's, that's one area of, of concern that you spoke so beautifully about. I'll mm-hmm. say my, my perspective, my other thought to this is um, for people who, who don't have a particular significant trauma in their life, but then they enter into one of these kind of experiences where, where everything's trying to funnel you back to this, right. there can be a group think or a pressure to have to go searching for or finding then that one thing as if it's almost like a Gnostic kind of notion that if I can just find the secret, I have the knowledge that's going to unlock salvation. Um, when that might not be the case, right? You, you might just be lazy because you're lazy, right? <laughs> and well, you, need, you need to work on, 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 on virtue in your life. Now, it could be that there's an interplay between both, right? Certainly, I'm not, I'm, I'm, but, but my point is that when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and, 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 and if, and if you're trying to solve every problem, you know, with this one, this one skill set, then, then you're, then you're, you're missing the point. You're trying to funnel everybody into this. Then, you know, listen, every good therapist certainly ascribes from a specific theoretical orientation, but, but we have lots of tools in our tool belt, right? And we know which one to use when it's time to use it, uh, when to press, when to let go, when to dig, when to encourage. Right. And so there, a therapist has to have many tools on their tool belt to be able to help the people that come to them and not trying to funnel everything through one particular lens. Well, a- uh, absolutely. And, and something that you said with respect to, to memories um, it, it reminded me of, of something. One of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder is not being able to remember all of one's trauma. Now, with respect to the inner healing core wound approach, I've encountered many people o- over the years who have been uh, harmed, not helped by the inner healing core wound approach because the pressure that was put upon them to remember trauma led them to believe that they were beyond healing because they could not remember their trauma. And, and that, is, that is horrible. I mean, that is terrible malpractice. It's spiritual uh, malpractice. And I would even call it spiritual abuse because that's what it is. You're taking someone who's already wounded and then you're saying, well, unless you can remember something, I can't help you. And, and that's, that's simply wrong. That's why in my piece I give you and remembering God's mercy, I propose a Eucharistic approach that, that simply involves offering 
God even just one wound, offering him my vulnerability, offering him the anxiety that I feel now that I don't even know what it comes from. Um, and when I do that, when I offer God, you know, that to work with, God can even work invisibly uh, in me in a way that, that no, uh, therapist could. I don't mean that therapy isn't important. You know, on the contrary, I recommend that anyone who suffered trauma receive both therapy and spiritual direction. Uh, but, uh, and, and certainly therapists have tools that they can use to help people who can't remember trauma. Uh, but what I, I do mean is that, is that um, there, there is um, a danger in putting pressure on, on people uh, to, in any approach that puts pressure on people to remember things that they, that they can't remember, and, and that there is a healing that's, uh, that's available uh, through God by offering even um, even our feelings when we can't remember what's what event causes those feelings. Amen, amen. I I agree. I, I there's the concern. You know the word they use there, spiritual abuse. Um, I, I I would have to agree with you. I mean, because I people find me also, and I have these conversations with folks about you know experiences that they may have on these things, and and sometimes it's you know they bring up a memory. And the band-aid doesn't quite solve us. Now they're they're left with the lingering kind of pain in the memory. That's one. But two, and I think this is kind of what you're hitting at, that if you're you're on these experiences and they're supposed to be this kind of pressure to right. fit this one way, and that's the and, and you you level that up and say that's the way that God's gonna speak. Well then if God doesn't speak to me because I follow the formula, but it doesn't, I don't get the results that I want then is there something wrong with me, right? Is there a lack that's of right. faith? So, so then they have not only their, their pain, but also their guilt. And it ignores the natural way, right? Yes. And we want to be too quick to get to the supernatural. I think both of these kind of approaches kind of, kind of come at that, which is this ignoring of how is the mind like created? Like how is the body created to, to right. handle trauma, to handle suffering? And the reality is we're, we're built, we're a lot tougher. And then, then I think some of these modalities give us credit for like, we, like we are the product of like billions of years of evolution, right. That have gotten us to this point that we're at now. And so we're pretty capable of dealing with hard stuff. And the, the brain has a lot of different ways of being able to make sure that it's functional. Sometimes that works against us. Right. And, and I get that, but we have to work primarily because God does, right. Like grace builds on nature. Let's work on, on, on through the, through what, authentic science has to say, um, good psychological theories, um, about helping people, not being afraid of that, but then cooperating with God's timing and his grace to lead me through my healing as he desires, as he sees fit and not being too quick to jump to the miraculous as if that's the only way that it's going to come or jumping to the supernatural as if that's the only way that healing can occur. That's just not, that's not, that's just not the way that I just don't think that's the way to, to, to approach this stuff. I would say yes, and a thousand times yes. What you're bringing out when you speak about grace building on nature is that just as there's a danger of over-spiritualizing, there's also a danger of over-psychologizing to the point that one leaves God out of the uh, equation. Um, although I would say that strictly speaking, one doesn't have to have a, a, a Catholic therapist for healing so much as one needs a qualified 
therapist and a qualified therapist who will not obstruct your or challenge your, your Catholic faith. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's that's similar. What comes to mind when I hear that is uh, St. Teresa of Avila's quote about, you know, spiritual director. Yes. Um, you know, the, it's if you have to choose between a holy one and a knowledgeable one, you choose the knowledgeable one. Well, you right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, you know, at the same time um, as not over spiritualizing, not over psychologizing in the sense that whatever psychological help we receive, that's only part of ourself that's, that's right. receiving the help. And we're not just mind. We're not just body. We're not just spirit. We're all three. That's right. So we have to, to take care of, of these different aspects of ourselves. And in terms of which aspect is the one that integrates us, it's the spiritual aspect. Any psychological help that will that, that we receive um, in order to to really take hold and, and to help our entire person, we have to spiritually receive this help as a gift from God and to ask God's grace in integrating the psychological help with 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 other things that will enable us to be truly healthy and truly whole. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Good counseling, good psychotherapy is always at the service of the spiritual life and, and not the other way around. Right, right. Uh, awesome. Well, okay. So this is this has been great. Thank you. Uh, we, Thank we really, you. I think we really hit it <laughs> in the last few minutes. A uh, couple couple final questions that I ask each of my guests here, um, Don. So I- anything you would like to plug? Anything you'd like to take the opportunity to to talk about that that you're working on or you got coming up that you like to share with the listeners? Oh, sure. Well, I just finished writing my memoir. Sunday will never be the same. That's going to come out. Uh, through Catholic Answers in the spring. So you can look out uh, for that. I'll be speaking about my uh, conversion and also about my uh, about my life as a music fan and as a rock and roll historian and how God used a, a number of, of things that I wouldn't have expected him to use to ultimately helped me to realize my need for him. So that's one thing. And also the books that I mentioned on healing, My Peace I Give You, Healing Sexual Wounds with the Help of the Saints, and my book that's more generally on healing from trauma, Remembering God's Mercy, which is Ignatian Spirituality for Healing of Memories. And both of those are uh, available wherever fine Catholic books are sold. Fantastic. Amen. And my, my blog also, uh, doneden.blogspot.com. That's D-A-W-N-E-D-E-N dot blogspot dot com that has news of my apostolate and uh, my Twitter account is at Dawn of Mercy. And uh, last question that I ask each of my guests, Don Eden, what gives you hope? What gives me hope is the knowledge that Christ is in command of his church. And also, you know, the knowledge that if I pay attention to my own salvation, God will use me where I am. So, you know, I, I definitely recommend that if people are disturbed by things that they're reading on social media uh, about, you know, the what's going on in the church, that they should spend less time on social media. I don't mean to be completely disconnected, but that, but that you know, we need to be aware of how these things affect us spiritually. The enemy wants to use these things to take us away from our primary uh, vocation to holiness. And it's that vocation. And and its centrality, you know, being fixed on Christ that we really need to, to uh, focus on. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for the time. God bless you. Thank you so much, Mario. God bless you too. All right. Have a great day. You too. 
That's it for my conversation with Dr. Don Eden. As you can tell, this theme of redemptive suffering is very important to me, as are my concerns with ideologies and practices that try to offer shortcuts. If you have more questions about my thoughts on inner healing prayer, you will find a link in the show notes to a collection of posts that I wrote a few years ago on the topic. Feel free to send me an email if you need further clarification. Be good, God bless, and have a great day.